0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Body Justice. I started this podcast because I believe that all bodies are good bodies. All bodies are deserving, worthy, and all bodies are whole just as they are. In today's world, it's ever hard to embody this as our truth. My mission is to create a space to process body image, eating disorders, and relationships through a justice oriented lens. I'm a licensed therapist in California and an eating disorder survivor myself. I know what it's like to be at war with myself and also to find peace again. Thank you for being here, and I look forward to being your host. Hey everyone, welcome back to Body Justice. I hope everyone's having a great week. I'm so excited for today's guest, Kimberly Quinlan. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California, and she founded CBTSchool.com, which is an online psychoeducation platform that provides online courses to those with OCD and body-focused repetitive behaviors who don't have access to mental health care. Kimberly has an amazing podcast called Your Anxiety Toolkit, um, which she provides tons of mindfulness-based tools for anxiety, OCD, depression. Um, she also focuses on eating disorders as well. So we do very similar work. And to be honest, I am a big fan of her podcast. I listen to it all the time and always recommend it to clients. She is just a wonderful human being, in addition to being a therapist. And she recently came out with the book, Um, The self compassion workbook for OCD, Um, and she just is the queen of self compassion. I mean, she's gonna get really into it in our episode, but I'm so excited to talk with her about how you know self compassion is one of these components that we really need in every recovery process, whether it's an eating disorder or OCD. Um, But it's often one of the most left out topics especially in OCD recovery. We focus so much on exposure, 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 and we forget the importance of slowing down and being compassionate because we're asking people to do really, really hard things when it comes to both eating disorder and OCD recovery. You know, we forget that for the person suffering, it really feels like jumping off a cliff. It is really tough work. So, Without further ado, let's talk to Kimberly and hear what she has to say. After you listen, of course, I would love if you would leave me a review on Apple. This really helps the podcast get out to more people who need these messages. And of course, you can find me on Instagram at bodyjustice.therapist, as well as my website, alisonfordcounselingservices.com. You can get access to my courses there and figure out how to become a client. So without further ado, here's Kimberly all right so Kimberly can you tell us a little bit about you
1: and what you are passionate about Of course, thank you for having me on. My name is Kimberly Quinlan. I have a private practice in Calabasas, California, um, where I have nine staff who help us treat. Our specialty is OCD and eating disorders and body-focused repetitive behaviors. Um, It could be one or all of those symptoms. Um, I also have a psychoeducation platform called CBT School, and I love doing what I do. I'm, if I were to say my passion, my, my, my science geek loves self-compassion and mindfulness. They're like my jam.
0: Yes. If you don't follow, follow Kimberly Quinlan on social media, you definitely need to, because um, Kimberly, it's funny. I was thinking this morning how when I used to think of self-compassion, I used to think of like Buddhist teachings and then like Kristen Neff, and now you're right up there with them. Oh,
1: that's (laughs) such a wonderful thing to say. Thank you. I'm literally winning if that's the case.
0: Yeah. And I think it is such a missed out component when we talk about, especially OCD recovery. Mm. Um, It's just such a missed component. We focus so much on ERP and exposure, but we forget like it's really hard.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And eating disorder treatment, both Mm -hmm. of those, they're both facing your worst fear ever. And so, yeah, I mean, the real reason that I am so passionate about this is because the message that I was trained on, which was wonderful, which is like, face your fears. And it's really great. But so many people kept asking the question of like, well, what am I supposed to do? And we kept saying like, sit with your fear and be, be afraid. And I was like, there has to surely be another way or, and, or an additional thing to practice. And I think self-compassion is definitely it.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, as some, as you know, I've been through ERP, um, and it's so scary. Mm -hmm. Like it's, we, you really do need so much compassion for yourself. So I'm glad you just released your workbook. Thank you. Um can you tell listeners a little bit um, about why you started working with OCD eating disorders and anxiety?
1: Sure yeah so um, I myself don't have OCD um, but it, it's interesting I've been reflecting on this a lot lately of like why do I love treating OCD so much? I think it is because I had an eating disorder and I always felt that my eating disorder was so similar to the obsessive compulsive cycle. You have a fear, a fear feels intolerable. And then you do these like repetitive painful behaviors to try and reduce and remove your discomfort and that was true for me with my eating disorder but very much the way it plays out with with OCD and so when I got an internship and I treated OCD I was like this is it these are my people like I this feels right to me
0: Mm -hmm. that's awesome I can so relate I think the two are extremely similar and even generalized anxiety disorder it's like there is you know the obsessions are different. It's based on, you know, everyday stuff, but there, there's a lot of compulsive behaviors with Mm -hmm. GAD too. So yeah.
1: Yeah. A lot of mental rumination, a lot of avoidance, a lot of reassurance Mm -hmm. seeking. Yes,
0: exactly. And the OCD community is awesome. I love the eating disorder community too, but I think the OCD community is just goofy and (laughs) funny and I
1: love it. (laughs) I do too. I do too. They're my tribe for sure. Yeah. yeah. Can you
0: tell us a little more about why self compassion is so important for, you know, really any mental health recovery mm. journey? Mm.
1: Well, um, think of self compassion as a safe place to suffer, right? Um, and then we would immediately go, people who suffer from OCD and mental illness in general are suffering in addition to the normal human suffering that we all experience right you know grief and loss and you know daily stresses but people who have medical mental illness particularly I specialize in OCD and eating disorders those folks have a special kind of torment that's happening in their brain all day every day And they're suffering, and we don't even know about it. We don't even really get it, Um, particularly because a lot of people may even not be doing physical compulsions, but they're doing mental compulsions. And because they're having these strong, intrusive thoughts that they don't want that go against their values, um, folks with OCD tend to, in my experience, be really, really hard on themselves. They, they, beat themselves up, or we call it self punishment, they they self punish for the thoughts that they have. And so you can already imagine, imagine having thoughts repetitive all day, horrible thoughts, scary thoughts. And in addition to that suffering, then they beat themselves up for it. That's a whole lot of suffering. And so self compassion can be a practice where we at least take the second layer of 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 suffering away where we don't beat ourselves up we don't judge we don't criticize um and when we do that the cool news is we actually do then start to take away the power of the thought as well because we're saying I'm not going to beat myself up for this thought and then it kind of leads us to okay maybe I won't even tend to this thought at all and Mm -hmm. there we have a really great plan
0: yeah that's so true because I don't think I personally got to the point of doing exposure until I was able to be like a little more attentive to my own feelings in the process and, um, and compassionate and same with eating disorder recovery, because in I, and this, I find the same thing that with both people with eating disorders and OCD, I think some of the most, um, sensitive and self-critical people I've ever met. Right. And it all comes from a protective place, but. When you're going through recovery it, it's such a roadblock right um, i think one of the biggest roadblocks is that self-punishment
1: right right a lot of people won't do exposures i mean the gold standard treatment for OCD is exposure and response prevention they won't do that because they feel like they have to keep themselves on the hook for their thoughts. Like, no, I'm, I have to be on guard for them. I have to attend to them. I have to solve them because I'm a really bad person if I don't.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, again,
1: so if we can't practice that compassion piece, then we definitely can't practice ERP. So you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah, and with eating disorders, I think, um, you know, with both disorders, the person's usually also extremely intelligent. And so I know for me, when I was in eating disorder recovery, and maybe you can relate, it was like so hard to accept that. Why is this food so scary? Like, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be so scared, you know, like really judging yourself for it um, versus dropping into that place of, well, this is just where we're at, you know, and how can I be nice to myself here?
1: Yeah. You know, if I'm honest, I'm actually doing a lot of personal work on this right now, sort of of unfolding my own eating disorder recovery and I'm realizing I didn't do the self-compassion thing with my eating disorder recovery I actually did this criticism thing to get me to recover like you have to do this you're weak if you don't do this mm-hmm. like and and now and I look back and I talk about because I'm obviously talking about self-compassion with a lot of people I look back and I'm like I had two layers of eating disorder recovery. One was the eating side. And then the second was the kind layer that I had to do it. Cause at the beginning I did not, I did not do it nicely.
0: That's true. I don't think I did either.
1: <laughs> I no, I, no, I really, really didn't. Tough. I like beaded myself into doing it and, yeah. and, and, yeah. And there wasn't a lot of body acceptance for me in that stage because I refused to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I just have to get my eating out, back to normal. And that was the goal, which yeah. was good.
0: It was a good start. Yeah. Do you think that hindered your recovery process though?
1: Well, I feel like I had to go through recovery twice. Yeah. <laughs> like I had to do the food stuff. And then I had to go back and start again with the food and be gentle with myself with those same food exposures. Um, and take it from a different aspect.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. so interesting. I mean, I see that all the time with my clients too. Like, I feel like we're always talking about inner critic and self-compassion. Yeah, It's such a hard concept. So tell us like, yeah, I guess your definition of self-compassion and how do you help folks get to
1: that place? Right. So in my mind and the way that I was educated on it, the best way for me to conceptualize it is Imagine if a loved one was going through exactly what you're doing and what you're going through could be an intrusive thought. It could be a mental disorder. It could be a loss of a loved one. It could be depression, whatever it may be. It could be that your car broke down, but you would imagine if a a loved one came to you and said, this is what I'm dealing with. What would you do? What would you say to them? How would you respond to their suffering? And that's compassion and self-compassion is then giving yourself that same love and warmth and respect and kindness when you yourself are suffering. Um, and so it's, it's very, very simple. It's easier said than done um, because again, we have all these roadblocks that get in the way, all these exemptions, like, yes, that is true for them, but not for me because, and you would fill in the blank hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, it's I feel like it's one of those topics that it's easy to explain, but so hard to put into practice.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've told this story many times, but it's because it's so powerful for me. When I was um, newer to treating OCD, I ran a couple of weekend mindfulness retreats for people with OCD. I remember doing a self-compassion practice. It was a loving kindness meditation. And one of, the, one of the, um, the people who were there who had OCD, who was attending, literally sobbed the whole way and got up and left midway and said, this is, um, I cannot even tolerate the idea of being kind to myself, that it just feels so foreign and wrong. Um, And I remember that was the day where I was like, whoa, we really need to do some work here in this area. That was like the big day for me where I really realized just how hard people with OCD are on themselves.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And without that self-compassion piece, like you can't really go through the recovery process well, because it's almost like you have to accept that you are worthy enough to do the recovery and Mm -hmm. to heal from it.
1: Yeah. And the first thing, the first step is of recovery is learning not to give your thoughts value, Yeah, right? And if you give your thoughts so much value that you think your identity depends on what thoughts you have, it, that's going to be really hard for your recovery. Because um, yeah. so much of recovery is around saying, I'm going to let myself have all the thoughts, mm-hmm. every single one of them. But if you've a If you've tied your identity to your thoughts, you're very much fused with your thoughts. And and that's where things get a bit tough.
0: Yeah, where do you think people's identity needs to lay then if it's not in our thoughts?
1: And usually what I would say, and it's different for everybody, but my view is it's on your values, right? Yeah. What you want to do with your life. And when I say values, I'm not talking about just the positive values like being kind and being generous. And I'm not talking but that sounds like pressure and another set of rules, too. I'm talking about like, you know, we are in our society are so caught up in like what's your purpose I feel like that's a problem actually that we keep pushing this purpose because that's still another list of things you have to do it's really just like what do you enjoy doing what do mm-hmm. you what do you what values do you might value for me it's like sitting in the sun in the morning mm-hmm. like it's a big value nature is a big value but it, it, I'm not I'm not investing in that because now I'm worth more as a human or that I'm better than other people. It's just, these are things I enjoy existing in.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. Like just, it's just enough. We're enough to just exist and Mm -hmm. do things that bring us joy. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't have to be this, like, yeah, this super grand kind of shiny thing. No, I really love like laying in bed for an extra hour in the morning and just drinking my coffee like that's such a
1: treat to me (laughs) right exactly exactly and I think when we talk about values this is a whole nother conversation is there is so much expectation and wrapped up in values like as a mom as soon as someone says what are your values I feel pressure to say my children but the truth is they're not close to being at the top, not to say I don't love them tremendously and they are my priority. That's different, but values are like different than that in my mind is like, it's, it's sitting in the grass and staring at the sky. It's, you know, it's littler things than these grander
0: yeah. values. It's like, how do you want to look back on your life? Like, what do you want to, what moments, the small micro moments do you mm-hmm. want to remember and embrace?
2: Yeah yeah um, exactly I love
0: that so can you um I know you have you talk about the self-compassion roadmap in your book can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that and tell us what that is
1: sure so in the book we um I wrote it for new Harbinger publications and when we wrote it they were really like we need some steps here like <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't your we- plan we need steps. And I was like, but I don't have steps. Like I just do these practices. So um, I really spent a lot of time reflecting on like, what would the steps be for someone with OCD in treatment? And I realized there are steps. I just didn't call them steps. Right. And so what we really practice is placing the importance of of self-compassion at every step of treatment. Mm -hmm. So for the gold standard of OCD, the treatment is exposure and response prevention. So we, I really talked a lot about like, you can't just show up and practice ERP just when you're panicking. Mm -hmm. We want to actually make it really inclusive. So before you do exposure, Um, it's important that you practice compassion, but compassion isn't just kindness. Compassion is that small voice that motivates you to do hard things, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not, again, we rely too heavily on self-criticism for motivation. And so there's, again, like we talked about with eating disorders, there's nothing worse than, making yourself do an exposure because you beat yourself up to do so yeah what we want to do is we want to we want to incorporate what I call the kind coach the kind coach is someone who knows your strengths and knows your weaknesses and really champions your strengths to motivate you instead of hopping on your weaknesses and saying you lazy old thing get up off your butt right yeah that doesn't feel good So we want to do that self-compassion at the front end while you're doing your exposure. Step two is you want to really be practicing willingly opening up space for whatever discomfort you feel. This could be true for eating disorder exposure too, right? Mm -hmm. Is okay. When you're facing your fear, a lot of discomfort is going to come up. How do you tend to that? right is it a safe place for you to feel these feelings or is it a really aggressive place to feel these feelings so how can you be a safe place for those discomforts to rise and fall with response prevention same thing throughout the day after exposure once you're riding that wave and it could take some time we want to be Now, there's two parts of this. We want to be kind to our suffering, but we also want to stand up for our long-term recovery by saying, "Keep going, you can do this." Right? Mm -hmm. Like, just hang on a little bit longer. Right? Like, and it's and it's motivating you and encouraging you. And then the last step, I actually think, is the most important, which is celebrating your win. Love that. All too often, we do an exposure and the person who has beat themselves up says, I'll go, I'll be like, yay, that's so great. What are you going to do to celebrate? And they're like, no, I'm not going to do anything because everyone can do this. There's nothing to celebrate. Everybody does this. And my view is the most compassionate thing you can do is celebrate that that will then generate motivation for the next time. If you do all this hard work and there's no celebration, what, like, what's the point, right? Like yeah. it feels so painful and for nothing except your recovery, which is huge. But we want to make sure we stop and go, wow, I did that. Mm-hmm. Look at what I did. What worked? What didn't work?
2: Mm-hmm. Without
1: beating ourselves up, what could I do differently next time? How can I celebrate myself? And by practicing all of those steps, you've got yourself like a full compassion system going on.
0: I love that celebrating yourself part. I think that's not something I've heard before in terms of the self-compassion discussion, but I can see how that would be such a component because if you imagine, like I talk with my clients a lot about like developing an inner wise parent. A, a wise, a parent, a loving parent would celebrate all the little, doesn't matter how big or little it is. Right.
1: Mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm.
0: have to learn how to do that for ourselves.
1: We do. We really, really do. So that's the steps. I hope that sort of explains what you were looking for or were you looking for a different concept?
0: No, that's, that's perfect. I think, yeah. I hope it gives listeners kind of a little more of groundwork of like, okay, but how do I apply this? What are the steps? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I again, I think it is a concept that's really hard for people to, to practice.
2: Mm. Um, mm.
1: Yeah, I, I just break it up into those pieces, because sometimes our compassion needs to be really gentle. And sometimes our compassion needs to be really active and motivational. And, and it is a form of motivation. So there will be times where as you lead up to doing an exposure, doing the real nurturing compassion is helpful, but it might generate a lot of energy, right? Mm. And so we can we can sort of switch switch gears and, and move us in that direction whenever we need that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just listened to your episode with Kristen Neff about the fear of self-compassion, about mm-hmm. like the times when you do need to be gentle and nurturing, but then there's times when you have to be like fierce and like, yeah. come on, we're doing this.
1: Exactly. Um,
0: not in a mean way, but in like a, we're doing this so you can have the life you want. Let's mm-hmm. do it.
1: Yep. Yep. Long-term, you're looking for the long-term compassionate outcome, right? Yeah. Mm. And you
0: know, it's interesting as we're talking about this, I don't know if you've researched this, but um, I would imagine it does have, you know, an impact on like habituation and inhibitory learning. Um, do you know anything about that research or is that
1: We don't have any research on it yet. So there are like two studies on OCD on self compassion, and they're mostly just based on um, like uh, assumption, if anything. Um, Like we would propose this would be the case, but they're they're starting to do self compassion. practices and studies in OCD we don't have enough information yet unfortunately but I feel as I wrote the book and I try to always have science to back but as I wrote the book I tried to really think like as much as we don't have scientific evidence I think the whole community agrees yeah. um, based on their experience that um, self-criticism usually worsens the cycle main reason for being Is any time if I said, let's say if I was saying to your guests and people who listen, like you're a loser, if we said that. I'm guessing your listeners, I know I do, notice a shift in my body, an increase of anxiety, attention, a hypervigilance. Mm -hmm. So if you're already experiencing anxiety and you criticize yourself, you're going to have more anxiety, which is going to make it harder to want to face that fear because it feels so much more scary.
0: Totally. And just from thinking of like, a, you know, eating disorders and, and OCD, I feel like in a lot of ways they're like safety protective mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And if you're beating yourself up, or let's say someone was beating you up about doing this hard thing for me, I think it would make me just retreat back into the, you know, quote unquote safety of the Mm -hmm. disorder because it it wouldn't feel safe to take Mm -hmm. that exposure step.
1: No. No. Well, and exactly, just like, you know, if, if you, let's say had a, you were a young child, and you had a teacher who was really critical, you'd be less likely to do the scary bolder thing try something different because you're scared of the criticism you're going to get so for people who are highly critical they tend to not want to do things they tend to procrastinate procrastinate more because not only will they have to face maybe the potential of failure but also a massive beat up at the end by themselves Mm -hmm. um, you know towards themselves so you know who would who would want to do that Mm -mm. of course
0: No, exactly. And I was, I actually, when I was in my own recovery, I did celebrate the wins. Like Mm -hmm. I was texting my friends Mm -hmm. and my therapist, Mm -hmm. like, guess what I did good. That helped because then they celebrate with you. And then you're motivated to keep doing it because you don't just do exposure once. It's like a lifestyle change. Like you got to do it over and over.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%, 100%. And I found that you know, from my patients is that self-compassion practice, it then springs into your daily life and life just gets easier too. Mm-hmm. right? Like you're, it, it does spread, right? So you're kind to yourself about your thoughts. And then all of a sudden you're kind to yourself about your feelings. And then all of a sudden you're kind to yourself about your mistakes. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, the kindness is kind of spreading throughout my day. And this feels good. And it's not a compulsion good. Like when a compulsion feels good, it's like, no, this actually feels good. That's sustainable and doesn't create more problems.
0: Mm-hmm. Like on a soul level, mm-hmm. like not an anxiety reduction level, but like a, just, I don't know. It's such a comfort,
1: a real comfort. Yeah. It's like coming home, right? It's like coming home.
0: Absolutely. So what would you tell, you know, the client that's like, I just, I, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't think I deserve this. Like what would be your advice in terms Mm. of maybe starting small with it?
1: Well, I mean, I do a lot of psychoeducation, so I'm always going to first educate them. One of the main concepts in the book, one of the first, is this concept of equality, right? Like I hold that as a high value of mine. I try to treat people equally. Um, and, and I think that that's a social justice issue, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but what I find is really interesting is a lot of my patients are such amazing human beings who want equality and what everyone to be treated well but they then disqualify themselves so i talk a lot about first we have to really beat through what it is that you think disqualifies you as being treated as as you know less than and i talk a lot about really throwing out this i call it a clip chart this clip chart that we have of what do we believe we have to do in order to be worthy? Often it's productivity, it might be in a certain body, it might be a certain success level, money, followers, you know, recovery. Um, so we have all these views on what we need to achieve in order to be war- valid and warranted for, for worth. But we have to throw that clip chart out and remind ourselves that you could have every heinous thought on the earth and you will still be worthy of compassion. In fact, I would even go as far as to say is, you probably are more deserving of compassion Mm -hmm. than everybody who doesn't have these thoughts. So I think it's really important first, we would have to look at the roadblocks. And we talk about that a lot in the book. Like what are the specific roadblocks? A lot of people feel that they're less worthy because of their thoughts because they have a mental illness and the stigma associated with that. Um, so some people believe they, um, they, their anxiety and their compulsions, like, oh, I did a compulsion, so I'm, I'm mm-hmm. technically making a choice, so I don't deserve it. So we go through a lot of those. And then I often encourage my clients and my readers to first just start with respect just meet yourself with a basic level of respect. Mm-hmm. You're human, you suffer, and therefore you are worthy of compassion. Um, and then we go to work with baby practices,
2: mm-hmm. right? Um,
1: but that takes some time. People can often have whole stories and all of this evidence of why they are not deserving. Um, and we need to work through that
0: hmm. It so is a, a, a long term practice. I always mm. tell my clients, it's like, it's like building a muscle, you really mm-hmm. have to do some daily self compassion practice, even if it's for like five minutes, you know, right. but and it grows, like you said, the kindness spreads, it grows, mm. but it's like rewiring everything we've been telling ourselves forever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And society tells us it too.
0: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right. So
1: we have to sort of look through that a little as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially with like, I like what you said about even if you had the most heinous thoughts ever. Um, I think, I don't know if you've seen this, but like, there's so much emphasis in like the wellness community on like manifesting and mm. you are what you think and blah, blah, blah. And I just feel like that is so harmful to, especially OCD sufferers, but like everyone, because we can't control our thoughts. So yeah. Being able to meet that with, with self-compassion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think we can't control our thoughts and sometimes we even have thoughts that we don't, um, that. The average society wouldn't like. Like, there are times where I'm really angry at somebody and I'm like, oh, I just want to punch him in the face. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that happens too. And I think that what we, a big piece of this is we were never supposed to be perfect, right? We were never supposed to get it right. We wouldn't, you know, there's a huge movement on social media that I struggle with is sort of like the ultimate goal of life is to be deliriously happy and rid yourself of suffering it's like yeah. humans suffer like mm-hmm. this is no joke this is hard being a human um so I think we all suffer and we all have to meet sort of come down with our expectations sometimes expectations dropping your expectations can be the most compassionate thing you can do yes. it's just is just dropping these these goals that are impossible to me
0: Mm-hmm. absolutely I agree with that and dropping our expectations of other people too mm. can be a, a self-compassionate thing to do
1: I can't tell you how much particularly in this political climate of, of just you know really dropping down into seeing each other as imperfect humans is such a huge part of our own mental health because if not we're angry all the time
0: mm-hmm. absolutely Well, Kimberly, can you walk us through one of the self-compassion meditations in your book? So maybe our listeners can just get a little glimpse of it.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm going to give you like probably my favorite, um, mostly because it's it's a really good primer for self-compassion. So what I would have you do is find a quiet place. If you're listening, you can you know, close your eyes. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. Um, Pay attention to what you're doing, but you could still be practicing while you're moving or doing whatever you're doing. Bring your attention to something in your body. Could be your breath. Could be the pull of gravity down towards the earth's surface.
2: If that's triggering and that's too hard, you may pick something to hold to bring your attention to. Just
1: gently bring your attention to that object or thing or experience.
2: Try to drop any tension in your body. And then I want you to think of someone you admire or love, someone you think dearly of. And imagine that they have come to you and shared with you that something they're struggling with.
1: Ideally, it might even be something you are struggling with. So this may be a fictional story. And they've come to you and they're telling you about how they're struggling with anxiety or depression, eating disorder, intrusive thoughts, a sensation that's really difficult for them. And I
2: want you then to bring to your awareness, what might you say to them? Just reflect on this gently. What do you think they would need to hear? Just remind yourself that you're not supposed to be perfect at this either, so there's no right or wrong answer. And now I want you to bring your attention to, as
1: they told you this, how might your body language change towards them? If
2: you were busy, would you stop what you were doing? Would you turn your shoulders towards them? Would you put your phone down? How might your body language change in in support of their suffering? And would you maybe even reach out to touch their arm if that was appropriate, maybe give them a hug? How would your facial expression change as they shared their suffering? Would
1: you soften your eyes? Would you, you know,
2: change the way your head, maybe tilt it to the left or to the right, lean back, lean forward? And just really spend some time
1: noticing, what does it feel like for you to tend to their suffering?
2: Is there any shift in your body in terms of your own anxiety and so forth? And so now I want you, if you can, and okay,
1: remember, please, that there is no perfect way to do this, is then I want you to think about what it would feel like if you yourself gave yourself that
2: compassionate practice. Maybe you would put your hand on your heart. You might drop your shoulders, how you know, put your hand on your tummy. What
1: might you do now as you shift that warm, kind, loving kindness towards yourself?
2: And practice and see if you can be the receiver of that same kindness and compassion. you notice yourself resisting that, you might want to just do your best and see how long you can be staying open to that compassion. Now, you could stay in that position and pause this
1: recording and stay there for as long as you want, or you can come on back and open your eyes to our discussion. <sighs> That
0: was so nice. Um, <laughs> listeners couldn't see me, but I was closing my eyes and really feeling that too. And you know what I was thinking, Kimberly, is just how life changing it would be if every moment of the day we were able to be self-compassionate with ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, so like, much.
0: Our body language, our voice, our you know everything. If we were all like, obviously that's impossible, um, <laughs> but how how life-changing it would be to Mm. even be that way you know 50% of the time
1: right yeah I found personally even just even picking one or two areas that I want to do it I actually now I'm you know even this morning it's Halloween My kids are getting ready and I'm noticing I'm starting to get annoyed because one kid can't get their shoe through their Halloween costume and the other kid doesn't like their makeup and, you know, and I started to feel myself like barking at them a little bit. And I had to stop and go, how can I tend to my own frustration and fear about being late and my own discomfort about not pleasing them? And actually, when I was able to really sit in that with a compassionate place, I then didn't bark anymore, too. (laughs) So it had so many multiple benefits to me, um, just slowing down and going, okay, this is a moment of suffering, Kimberly, you're, you're managing multiple things. This isn't easy, you know, and that was really helpful for me.
0: I love that example. And I'm going to use that because I'm in the middle of a move and it is so stressful to be working full time and moving. And oh, it's a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's helped me a lot, particularly in how I relate to people. Mm -hmm. Um, As a clinician, it's helped me a lot to catch myself when I'm going into reaction. Instead, first, to be like, whoa, back it up. You're suffering here, my love. Like, you're, this there's something here right instead of going what's wrong with you you should be able to handle this
2: mm-hmm. it's like
1: okay dear like back up something just got triggered how can you tend to yourself so that you can then handle and help the other person
0: yeah absolutely that's something that's not talked about enough either is like being that way to ourselves in sessions right mm-hmm. with clients
1: mm-hmm. um, sometimes I put my hand on my chest Mm-hmm. and I'll, and they'll always be like because my clients know me they're like what happened <laughs> like and I'm like oh I just really felt your pain and I wanted to hold space for me you know like yeah. mm-hmm. because I want to I want to be able to hold space for you and we can do this together so yeah. it's yeah it's not it's not making it about me it's actually creating a soft place so that I can be there for other people
0: Totally an amazing, like role modeling too, right? Like Mm. to see like, yes, we are human too. And everything we're telling you, we practice ourselves. Exactly,
2: (laughs) exactly. Mm. Well,
0: thank you so much, Kimberly. Can you tell everyone, you know, where they can find more of your work and your book, of course?
1: Sure, yeah. So um, my book is called The Self-Compassion Workbook for OCD. You can buy it wherever you buy books. Um, You can follow me on Instagram at Kimberly Quinlan. You can um, find a lot of my online resources at cbtschool.com. Or if you do a simple Google search, um, you'll find my private practice as well. Um, And I have a podcast, which you have been on, which is a wonderful episode called Your Anxiety Toolkit. And so that is my podcast to come, an episode comes out every Friday morning.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I love your podcast and yeah, all your work is amazing. So
1: thanks Thank for taking you.
0: the time to be with us today. Oh,
1: it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.